Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me, and we will be discussing uh, during this pandemic of COVID-19, we'll just be um, bringing up different topics, different things that we're thinking about, things that are on our mind. Of course, we'll have lots of stories still. Our workload is, is um, unchanged, and we're happy about it. You can check it all out at the michiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. And so, Steve, this episode we'll do basketball. Obviously, we will do football and we will do recruiting, uh, you know, either this week or early next week, uh, depending on when our schedules align. But basketball seems like the most pressing one for, well, just because there's a little bit more news with it. Obviously, they had their postseason taken away and really just fast forwarded things by a month. Who knows what Michigan's postseason would have looked like? They could have very well have been eliminated uh, you know, in the first game of the NCAA tournament and their offseason wouldn't be that much shorter after all. But it did start sooner, and there's a few key questions. Um, I, I'm running a story series on our site that's breaking down all of these one by one, trying to do a little bit more in-depth exploration. But the first one, this is always the big one, is NBA draft, the flirtation, the declaration, the pursuit and then whether or not players decide to come back. Michigan, from, from the outside, seems like they do a lot worse at this than, than other schools. It seems like they're always losing players right before they become All-Americans or, or whatever, and they go to the NBA draft. But Michigan also has produced more dra- first-round draft picks than all but like Kentucky and Duke at this point in the last eight years. So uh, it's a testament to Michigan as well. This year, I think there's two players that that should de- should declare and should look. I'll remind our listeners: declaring does not mean you can't come back. At this point, you can now hire an agent, go to the combine, do all the workouts. You can even stay in the draft pool, and if you get undrafted but you were invited to the combine, you can come back. So there's lots of opportunities to come back. And last year, 175 players declared. I would expect a similar number this year. And I think Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner will be a part of it. Um, at this time, it's certainly d- d- doesn't mean that they're gone, but it'd be, I don't know about you, Steve, I think it'd be foolish for them not to declare and, and see because they're they are tall, they're athletic, they can shoot the three, they check all the intangible boxes. Uh, they have a lot of NBA uh, skill sets, and, and it's not just shooting, it's, it's just the way they play defense, the way they get up and down the court. I mean, these are two guys who I think will play in the NBA at some point, and the first step to that is is trying to get to some NBA workouts and trying to show what you can do. I mean, yeah, the biggest misconception about a guy <clears throat> declaring for the draft, and let's say just declaring and staying in, is that there's this idea that said player needs to be a, fi- a finished product before they can like move on to the NBA as if the NBA isn't going to look at a guy and think, you know what, in two or three years or in two years, maybe, you know, this guy might is, has the potential to be a real stud, like definitely worth taking a shot on. So, you know, yeah. And with the new parameters for the draft, there's like, there's no reason those guys shouldn't do it. Test the water. Why would you not? Especially if your livers, I agree on Wagner, by the way, totally, but especially if your livers, I mean, at the very least, you're going to at least know where you stand heading into next season. So, I mean, I, right. that in mind, I mean, I don't think there's any reason that those guys shouldn't take a look into that and, and see where they stand and, and make the decision from there. You know, and this is another reason, you know, I think Beeline did a good job with it too, but another 
I think good thing about having Juwan Howard is his vast NBA experience in assisting these guys along in that type of process, I think will probably be very valuable uh, for them and for him eventually on the recruiting trail, you know, as far as getting these guys ready for that Mm -hmm. and assisting them through the actual process. So yeah, zero reason given all the steps you can now take without actually technically leaving the program. Like there's no reason those two guys shouldn't see where they're at compared to everybody else. Right. And so the second part of it is, is do they stay? And, and I think to me, Franz, it, it's tough because we don't know what the scouts think of these players and we might not find out. They might not do in-person workouts. They might not do an NBA combine. There's, there's lots of variables here. I think Franz, I would, I would assume at this point that he would come back. He's got age on his side. He doesn't turn 19 until August 27th. And his brother can speak pretty highly to, Hey, Michigan turned me into a first round pick. Uh, you know, let them do that to you too. And and I think, as you brought up a good point, you don't have to be a finished product to go to the NBA now. Nowadays, you can be, it's not so much about how good you are, it's how how much better can your draft stock improve. That's the main decision factor these players have to look at. And so I think DJ Wilson, I think is a great example. Yeah, he was not quite the best player he was going to be when he was a what, redshirt sophomore. But at the same time, I don't know if there was room for him to become a 20-point-per-game scorer on Michigan's team the following season. I think that was proven correct, by the way, just because of how good everyone else looked. And so he went when his stock was at its highest. And I think with Franz, I don't think his stock is anywhere near its highest. I mean, if there's someone that sees him and says, that's a first-round pick, we're taking our chance on him, then I guess that changes that. But I, I think there's a chance he could come back and have a Nick Stauskas type transformation where he he just becomes the centerpiece, he becomes the go-to playmaker, ball handler, scorer, and everything all in one. Livers, I think, has shown a lot of what he's going to show. I mean, he, he you know, injuries hurt him, uh, but that almost makes one think that if he does get some draft buzz, he should take it. He's gonna be twenty-two this summer, so he's he's considerably older than Franz is. And he was the leading scorer, go-to playmaker. There are there are things he could work on. And I think that's one thing Joan Howard would be pitching is you can come back, work on your dribble drive, work on um, you know, maybe maybe your drive game, getting to the basket, uh, defending maybe a little bit inside and outside. There are things he can be better at, certainly. But is he going to is he going to be five points per game better than he was last season? I know that's not the only stat they look at, but it's He's already shown what he can be as the number one player on this team. Franz, I think, still hasn't taken on that role. So I could I could very much see Livers staying in the draft. I, I do think both both players just talking to them and covering them. Uh I don't think either of them are itching to go necessarily. I don't think you know, sometimes players they, they decide months before the season ends that they want to go. I think they're I think both of them understand they can come back and, and solidify their draft value or, or get closer to a degree or in Liver's case, get a degree, be a captain. I, I think both of them are pretty happy at Michigan, so they're not itching to go necessarily. Same time, you know, if you're especially for Livers who's a little bit older, a little bit more polished, 
if there's a chance, why why risk it? Especially when you've had some of the injuries that you've had, and and you certainly don't want to you don't want to run into a situation where suddenly you're too old and too injury prone for anyone to to sign you to a you know undrafted free agent deal. So I could very much see Livers going. It's hard to tell what the temperature is on their stock. But I think Franz, at right now, if I were predicting, I'd predict Franz to come back and Livers to be about 50-50. Yeah, the, I guess the wild card is just the way this season ended, particularly for Livers, if that's the way he wants to finish out, you know, if, there, if there's that unfinished business True. feeling. Again, I mean, I you know, very well could be a deal where, yeah, like you said, he's a little bit older, a little more polished. Maybe the time is now for him as far as maximizing his stock, but... Just with this, you, there are a lot of like scenario situations going on right now in the sports world, just in general, that we haven't really encountered before. So you don't know if he's thinking like, "Man, I really wish, you know, I, I want to play in one more Big Ten tournament, or I want to try to win another Big Ten championship, or something like that." Which you know sometimes is the reason a guy does come back, but in this case, it'd be you know even you know a little bit different than before. So you know, I I, I agree. I would. I would probably put the odds about the same. I would be very surprised if Wagner left and stayed in the draft. And with Livers, you know, here's the thing. Talk about missing a Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament, stinks for him because he was kind of he was kind of going through a little bit of a slump here, uh, you know, near the end of the regular season. And I think a good Big Ten tournament, maybe slash NCAA tournament, really could have boosted him you know, up to a, a spot where maybe he would be a, almost a for sure to go. You know, and that's where those extra mm-hmm. games, because you talk about DJ Wilson, I feel like that Big Ten tournament is really where DJ Wilson yeah. made his name or really his stock went sky high after his performance in the Big Ten tournament in 17. So, you know, it'd be a uh, little interesting. You know, granted, I, yeah, I don't foresee, I don't know. You know, last year you talk about guys that probably would have been would have been better players if they had stayed another year. You talk about Iggy and Poole, but really, I mean, with Iggy being as old as he was, kind of, I think, Mac probably maximized his situation, and, and Poole getting drafted in the first round maybe the same. So, right. Um, it'll be interesting, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it, it, what I find interesting is that it never, so far, just the way the basketball economics have gone. In the past, like six, seven years, I don't think any of these players were. Even if the fans say, "Oh, he's throwing his life away" or whatever, making the mistake, it seems like they they all seem to do just fine. I mean, DJ Wilson has made what six plus mil. Iggy Brzezakis made two point five mil this year, even though he has only played in a handful of NBA games. Jordan Poole obviously is a great example of he wasn't necessarily polished. I don't think he'd hit his his stride at Michigan. I don't think he'd you know turn into a finished product but enough teams liked what he could do that they said we'll develop him on our own terms and so yeah um next question just to try to keep things moving here is the transfer question certainly we're always careful we don't there's there's factors that are off the court family factors personal fit uh how you how you mesh with coaches and teammates we don't we don't like to dig into that but on court i did outline the reasons for and against some of the returning players, not not Livers and Wagner, I, I would assume they're not transferring, but uh, some of the other ones, why they might want to consider transferring, why they, why they might not. And it is interesting because I think every player has a case to 
look elsewhere because this is going to be a crowded roster. There's going to be a lot of shots and and um, but really, I think the the three that if we could circle three that kind of stick out. By the way, Michigan has lost eleven lost eleven players to transfer in seven off seasons from 2012 to 2018. So this happens. This is not this is not rare or, or anything abnormal. Players transfer out, and a lot of them go to better situations. Ibby Watson was is a great example of someone who was probably going to be third string in Ann Arbor, and instead he was the first man off the bench for a really great Dayton team this season. And I think you can go down the list. Players find better fits, but the three that kind of stand out to me in my general rule of thumb, players who will, might be passed on the depth chart by younger players or players of the same age, Adrian Nunez, Colin Castleton, and and Cole Bajima. And Castleton is interesting because I still think, I mean, and Steve, I think you were with me on this. Is you you watch his film and you're like, this guy, this guy could be an NBA player. I mean, he could be DJ Wilson, Mo Wagner. Uh, he's got and look at Nate Reavers is basically the same player as Castleton, and he's doing a he's doing a heck of a job in, at Wisconsin. And so, you know, it will be interesting because I, a, Michigan is anticipating a couple players to leave based on how they're signed, you know, the players they've taken commitments from and how they're pursuing transfers and other recruits. Uh, it's it's going to be fascinating, and I think all three of those players, because Adrian Nunez and Cole Bajima, uh, they can shoot the lights out, and and that's going to be pretty popular on other teams. So I'm very fascinated. At the same time, you know, we're seeing them recruit a point guard out of Columbia. We're seeing them still pursue Josh Christopher. Uh, all bets are really off, and I think I think every player and I would be in the same situation is, is kind of looking at this depth chart saying, okay, do I, do I take a look and see what these other schools might consider or what they might be able to offer? Is there another position, another team, maybe even in the big 10 or a high major that would, I would start automatically on. I don't know, Steve, what do you think of this, this transfer situation? Obviously we don't, don't want to speak for the players who still have these decisions to make, but uh, does this early postseason? accelerate anything does it leave any doors open or closed there might be less coaching movement that might be something to consider uh your thoughts on on the potential transfers i think you have the right three names <clears throat> we'd we'll see on Badjuma, but again the numbers alone speak that especially with austin davis coming back that somebody that you may not have originally pegged into that group is going to be part of that group, right? Because I think, I mean, popular opinion just based on the numbers and based on what we saw playing time-wise this season, you know, that Castleton and Nunez are the two very easy choices, I suppose, just based solely on those two factors. You know, Nunez, a guy, just never really has looked comfortable out there, particularly on the defensive end. You know, a guy that I think really just, if you just say struggled defensively uh, in a lot of spots. So... Um, I, I yeah, the coach the lack of coaching change is huge because there's that certainty is erased, right? As far as you know, you don't if you're making a decision to leave, you're very unlikely to be committing to a staff that won't be there next year. Whereas normally, you know that sometimes that isn't the case. Uh, but for Michigan's end, yeah, I mean, I I think those would, I guess I mean just short and simple, those would be the three guys. 
that I would probably be keeping an eye on. And I agree with you. You talk about EB as a guy, you know, no doubt in my mind that any of those three guys, especially again, provided that they are the ones that depart or if any of the three or two of the three depart are guys, I think that could find roles in certain situations. Uh, you know, especially I, I agree with the Castleton, um, who was it? Who did he come off? The, was that Nebraska? Who, Rutgers, Rutgers, Rutgers. That's right, Rutgers, where he, you know, it's like kind of like, where's where was that? You know, guy, that's the one thing I guess was kind of in common. At least Badgerman didn't play a ton, but with Nunez and Castleton, just on opposite ends of the floor, you know, it's like Castleton Nevis never really looked super comfortable offensively, you know, and, and, and Nunez uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And so... Yeah, you see younger players, and you see them losing playing time as the season goes on. Usually, a pretty good indicator they're being passed up. And with with the caliber of player that Michigan is preparing to sign in twenty twenty, yeah, I mean the odds I would say are pretty slim for some of these guys to see their playing time increase next season. Or to, you know what I mean? You feel like for a couple of these mm-hmm. guys, things may have plateaued a little bit. So. Part of the game at this point, I think, like I said, you, you look at a guy like Watson, and you can bet your bottom dollar that he's happy uh, that he made the decision that he did, you know. And so that's never the end of the it's right. never the end of the road for these guys to move on somewhere else where they get a bigger and better opportunity as far as playing time goes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's think think Aubrey Dawkins. You could argue had a similar situation where he's. I mean, obviously his dad being the new coach at Central Florida was part of it, but. He was in the Sweet 16, you know, going up against Duke and and making it to some of these NBA workouts. Who knows what his what things would have looked like had he stayed at Michigan? Uh, it's another it's it's another element, and if we can transition to the third question here, is kind of looking at the recruiting class. How does this impact the team? Because you go from a team that you know, talking to Jawan Howard, talking to the players, they were astonished about how connected this team was and and one thing I will say they did not lose a single player when they changed head coaches and I don't know if you will ever see that in college basketball again because I just I I don't think it can be over under overstated in Nebraska they were down to like what one scholarship player on the roster at one point this offseason you know Juwan Howard now, part of it was Juwan Howard was made a little bit later of a hire, but nobody transferred, nobody left. They all hung out in the summer, even when they didn't have a head coach, uh, just assuming that they'd have someone that they like. And uh, it it worked out in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, 19 and 12 might not uh, jump off the page, but it was a pretty pretty good 19, and, and who knows what they could have done with the postseason. And so you have a really connected group. How do How do these new players make an impact? Obviously... You know, if Josh Christopher and Isaiah Todd end up on campus, that's two first-round lottery-type picks instantly on your roster. And and I will say, you know, we mentioned Castleton, uh, Badgema, and Nunez. If Todd and Christopher come on campus, are there some veterans who might have been thinking that they had a starting job? I mean, how do you how do you go about that decision? How do you say Todd and Livers come back? What do you tell Brandon Johns at the four? You know, what do you what do you tell him and say? Yeah, your third string now. I mean, or do you, or do you try to find a way for him to change positions and maybe make it on the court in another way? So, 
few variables there, but obviously this class is is really impressive. Four top 100 recruits. Uh, they are in on Mike Smith uh, out of Columbia, originally from Chicago. Sixth in the country in scoring this past season with the Lions. Now, the Lions weren't very good, but he led the Ivy League in points, steals, was second in assists. Um, pretty Pretty darn good point guard, too. Leaving him off the table for now and just looking at this class of Jace Howard, Zeb Jackson, Terrence Williams, Hunter Dickinson, seven foot two, two hundred and sixty pound center. Hard hard to see him not playing pretty early. And then obviously Isaiah Todd and, and then maybe Josh Christopher as well. Um what does this class do for Michigan heading into next season? I mean it gives them their best collection of freshman talent since the fab five, I would think. Right. I mean, on paper, you know, cause beeline, I think, what was it? Which class was the one they, they had the one class that had, I think it was McGarry's class that. Yeah. 2012. Right? They but had a lot of that was, I think that's really where he built his name on the development aspect. Cause a couple of those guys weren't really highly rated or ranked. Uh, so when I say on paper, I'm being literal as far as this being the best class that Michigan assigned, it, since the Fab Five, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, it. your point about Todd and Livers and Johns is an interesting one. I, I suspect, you know, you'd have to find a way, you know, uh, to, to make that work. Because, yeah, Johns, far too talented, showed way too much this year. Not to think that he's capable of having a pretty darn good season next year. You know, when you add in the what looked like appeared to be improvement, improvement on the outside shooting and just growing more comfortable offensively. You know, he, I always feel like he's one of their more important, like talking about a guy willing to get in and rebound, you know, is, is he's very, he's become a pretty valuable player for Michigan off the bench. So, uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you talk about, and then you, you say maybe Josh Christopher, I mean, that's such a huge, maybe, you know, that could really would take things to a completely different level. Uh, I always wonder, you know, my biggest thing with, when you're, signing classes like this, I look at the the same four or five programs that do it every year is like, yeah, is how, I don't know how you get some of these guys to, it's weird, like to buy in on like learning and like embracing the college game for a year and not looking at it as just a pit stop on the way to the NBA. Right. I mean, that's really the biggest thing with some of these guys. And I, I don't think it's a, like a huge problem or like a big risk or anything necessarily. But at the same time, you talk about the camaraderie between this year's team, you know, and it's like, this brings in, it brings a whole different dynamic into the locker room, you know, as far as that stuff goes. And I think, you know, you get into a do or die tournament type situation. I don't know. Some of that stuff can make a difference, you know? And so biggest thing for next year is that, well, they will be lacking tournament experience. Right. I mean, this will be the mm-hmm. least experienced. <laughs> True. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, this 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 that's another wrinkle of the current situation is that these younger guys the Julius Johns, Wagner, you know, aren't going to get any that get that experience that I think is valuable, uh, you know, when you get to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight type deal, which is one of the reasons why, you know, it kind of stinks. I think this year's team really had a chance because between Livers, Simpson, and Teske, I mean, those guys have played in a national championship game. You know, I think that stuff does matter to an extent 
you know, when you get into a do or die type situation. So, yeah, for next year's team, yeah, the talent level will be off the charts just about. Again, you talk about us expecting Wagner to take a big leap. I think DeJulius has still got some growing to do. You talk about Johns, and then, yeah, you add in these younger guys. A guy like Terrence Williams, who I think is maybe even underrated where he's ranked. You know, the other three guys, again, provided they get Christopher, we'll see if that happens. But you say, say Todd, Christopher, Dickinson, kind of the guys that get all the, the pub. You know, but I don't know. It'd be very. But again, Howard, I think was it could be another area where having the NBA experience could really pay dividends and like learning to, you know, kind of mesh. I don't want to say egos. That sounds a little strong for some high, you know guys that are coming out of high school. But at the same time, though, you know, you guys see people see listeners out there see how recruiting is covered. I mean, these guys are like beloved and worshipped like at the high school level these highly ranked guys you know and it's like i said you're bringing in a different bringing in an isaiah todd is different than like when karis lavert stepped on campus for the first time you know back in the day like a different mentality i would think so you know so it's a matter for howard of kind of trying to mesh all those personalities get everybody on the same page you know type deal but yeah it's actually an interesting dynamic because you will you'll have a a vet semi-vet group the core from last year's team, you know, yeah, kind of meshing and melding with these young guns who were like, yeah, a few of these guys who were like absolute studs, you know, it's just be pretty fascinating to see, you know, and something I don't think Michigan fans have really had to see in a really long time. That's again, not since the Fab Five probably. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's it's interesting with these five stars and I always look at them, I, I look at it the same as like a second semester senior in high school where it's like you're pretty much an adult. You're pretty much on to the next step of your life, but you do have to hang around for a few months and, and, and do your thing um, because someone else told you to. It's basically, I, I personally, I, I'd get rid of the one and done rule uh, ASAP, but I, I get there's layers to it. We don't need to open up that that cage. But But Josh Christopher, you think about it, he's probably worth about $10 million right now in terms of potential endorsements, potential value. And so, yeah, how does Juwan Howard say, hey, we got to work on our pivots today? And that's, I to me, I think that's part of why John Beeline never quite recruited that top shelf. Even if even if he was in, even if they understood his development and, and connected with him in certain ways, I think that was a part of it was like he, he, he really wanted to break – break everything down and I think these players they want to they want to work they're hard-working individuals but they don't necessarily see I think they see their themselves maybe a little more polished than a than a scrappy three-star or a four-star so 
it will be interesting to watch. Uh, it will be interesting to watch how Michigan recruits Josh Christopher in a, in a dead period. I don't know if he pushes back his decision. I don't know if signing day gets pushed back, but um, they're they're pushing. And Arizona State and UCLA had strong finishes to the season. You know, I know I know Christopher has all the crystal balls, but um, how does this dead period affect things will be something to watch as well. Number four, so I wrote this down when I kind of had a feeling Saudi Washington was going to go to Western Michigan. Uh, we've had a couple people on our board, you know, Mar- Dot Man, and then and then Sam has chimed in as well, uh, basically affirming that he's he's not going to that Western Michigan job. So, but the coaching, what does the coaching do? This offseason, how would they evaluate things? How do they head into next season? You know, I would I would assume. I mean, Martelli is. I, I, my guess is if he wants to be a head coach again, he there'd be an opportunity somewhere. Uh, maybe not one that's a great fit for him, but he's a really highly respected head coach. Howard Isley is a pretty revered head co- or not head coach, but a pretty revered assistant as well. Has spent some time in the NBA. Um, has some connections to. Boston College and other programs out east. Does this whole gang stick together? Uh, you know, thinking about if is is John Beeline, if he takes, say, another high major job this offseason, is one of his first calls not to John Sanderson to see if he can get that strength and conditioning program that, that he became so known for back together. So I'm curious first if the ship stays together, and then second. What are some of the changes that they implement? Because in year zero, with Juwan Howard being hired in late May, early June, he didn't necessarily have the same kind of chance to put his program in place. Now, certainly there were changes, but they kept a lot of things similar. I actually thought he started to really showcase. There were a few things he did toward the end of the season that I I really thought were were impressive. I think um, you know some of the creative defensive switches. Now, seemed like Wisconsin and Ohio State figured it out and hit a bunch of threes, but um, you know the different different ways they attack ball screens. Stylistically, they played faster. They rotated more. They basically a little bit more hockey like, where they had guys come in for two or three minutes, just go full speed, full intensity, and then they got taken out of the game. Uh, Steve, anything stand out to you in terms of first coaching? Uh, you know, note, noting that. There is some fluidity there, but but certain things that you would change or uh, certain things that you think they'll continue to do to further maybe the Jawan Howard fingerprints on this program. It's a tough one. Well, I mean, the first step as far as bringing the gang back together, I mean, for Saudi Washington to turn down Western, which I believe is where he went, is a yep. He's a he's a, a Western alum. Good yeah, indication that the current staff is buying into you know, what Howard is trying to build here, right? It maybe at least want to be along for the ride a little bit longer. I mean, how often does your alma mater come by to offer you a head coaching job, you know, and you turn it down? I mean, that's pretty rare. So, I mean, that's a good first step in that regard. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it again, I think a lot of the, as far as coaching approach and what the tweaks, that is like a lot of that is really going to depend on what they feel like they have when this freshman class arrives on campus next year. You know what I mean? I I almost go back to the last point as far as, like, I think the bigger thing will be more about managing these personalities and just in, in trying to mesh two completely different groups of players together. You talk about the guys already on the team and, and like, this just heralded group. You know, if they do finish out with Christopher, the hype for this group is going to be 
insane, you know. And I think trying to kind of get everybody on the same page. I'll say one thing in watching the game. I, you know, I'm not an X's nose guy. I've never claimed to be. I feel like Howard very good in like scenario type sets and situations, like coming out of timeouts, adjusting at halftime. He's great at ATOs. Yes, like yeah. I feel like so you know that there's a really that at least there's it, it appears or feels like there's a real foundation on the X's and O's side of things that they can you know build off of and and, and again because this isn't a deal you know, you kind of wonder sometimes just in in college sports in general how it, a lot of it is just a talent accumulation game you know and that if you have the best deck in your hand you're gonna have the, you have the best chance to win you know you can out X and O's guy I think basketball especially is a situation you can outsmart and out scheme your competition. You know, and, and athleticism will take you as far as it'll take you a, a long ways, but there's still ways that you can outsmart, outscheme your competition. And I feel like they it just at least it feels like they're that there's a, a direction there. And defensively, probably maybe I mean obviously consistency, right? I mean it felt like they were either like lights out defensively this year or they were like struggling mightily. You know whether the from the post or the outside, it's just a, a pretty inconsistent. I mean, would they have the stretch where they were the top defense in the country for like a seven or eight game stretch, right? Yeah, or was like it like five top four or something? Yeah, Michael Furrow. Yeah, I, I feel like there was a stretch where they were number one in the country right. defensively, and and right, you know yeah, there was, there was. That's in what February. I thought. And then, yeah. but then you know, then you see them kind of fall off a little bit. Wisconsin, Ohio State. So maybe working more on. A consistent defensive approach, I suppose. I mean, it was it zone where it looked like they just really struggled when they tried to implement zone defenses because I think those guys are so used to playing man-to-man all the time. I think they looked a little lost when they would move to zone sets. Well, Jawan Howard's used to man-to-man right, too. Right. Yeah, I don't know if he's – I don't know if we ever see zone for Michigan right. again. I mean, it's just, it's just not something they do in the right. NBA. So, you know, so I mean, I don't know. In that regard, I mean, it's hard to say. As far as, like, I, I think you have to look at the Howard hire in general right now, and it feels like he's at least checking off all of the boxes that you'd want him to check off. Recruiting? Absolutely. The X's and O's stuff, which I think for somebody who was an, a longtime assistant, never really got to see him in action in that regard. Fans were uncertain about it because we know Beeline, schematically, especially in the offensive side, was amazing. One of the best ever. You know, he seems to have have something going there. I mean, it was a little rough to begin at the very, very beginning of the season, I feel like, but once they figured it out, and granted, of course, it's it's when you have a guy like Simpson to run things, I know that makes it a lot easier, but still, like you saw, you talked about after timeouts, halftime adjustment type deals, felt like that they had something going there. So, you know, I feel like he's checking off all the boxes, and, and again, yeah, I mean, Martelli, Isley, we'll see, but seeing Saudi Washington come back after – I'm sure they made, that Western made a very strong run at him is a good indicator that everybody's buying in. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point that, you know, he I, – I, my hunch is that Western wasn't able to offer that much of a raise. They are – they're a little bit more – you might know better than I do, but it se- seems like their finances have been a little rough. And their their head coach previously made, was only making about 16000 more per year than Saudi was, so – we don't know all the details there, but but obviously he's choosing to come back instead of coaching at a school he's very comfortable at. So 
I think that speaks to speaks to that he thinks he can get an even better offer down the road. And I think that's that's the key thing to watch is you know Phil Martelli, if he's back next year, my guess is that someone reached out saying asking if he wanted to be head coach again. And he probably said, "Nope, we're going to ride this one out." I think there's, I think the ship's only going up, and so um, that's something to keep an eye on. And I do think defense is the one area where I, I want. I'm curious to see how the de- how the defense is coached differently next year because there was a stretch where it was clicking. That was also a stretch where Isaiah Livers was healthy and Eli Brooks was playing some of the best basketball of his career. You know, you don't have John Teske, you don't have Xavier Simpson anymore. How do you how do you manage the Big Ten and their and their variety of different uh, offensive approaches and styles? I mean, one week you're playing a potential Big Ten or National Player of the Year in, in a center, and then the next week you're playing a team with like five different shooters who have hit fifty threes. So it's it's a it's tough going through the Big Ten. There's a reason why it was such a murderer's row this season. That said, let's the defense statistically speaking took a step back this year. And so we'll have to see where they go next year without maybe two of their best defensive players. Anyway, final final first initial thoughts heading into this offseason is just how good is this Michigan team lining up to be? Because I, I was looking at it with the transfer thing and I'm thinking, man, if if this guy isn't starting, if you know, I mean the you can't say right now that Eli Brooks and Brandon Johns are going to start for this team next year. And that's that's really speaks to how much deeper they're getting. That speaks to how much better they're getting. And you can say the same thing about David DeJulius as well. I don't I don't know if I don't know if you know if any of these guys are going to start other than probably Livers. Livers starting spot is safe. So, heading into next season, I know they're they're kind of down on a few of these preseason top 25 rankings. Frankly, I think there's a lot of I think most people are assuming Livers is gone and Christopher isn't coming. And so yeah, if they go 0 for 2 on that, they probably are outside the top 20. But if they get one of the two, and who knows, maybe even two of the two between Livers and Christopher and Todd, uh you could throw that in as as a potential wild card as well. They look really really good. I think Iowa is lining up to be maybe the best Iowa team in uh their school history because they bring back everybody and guys like Toussaint and Bohannon looks good and Luca Garza uh, goes without saying, Kreiner. I think they're probably a, a notch ahead of everyone else in the Big Ten. And then I think Wisconsin, Maryland, Michigan State, it seems like they're always in that in that mix. Ohio State as well. I think if they get if Michigan gets Livers or Christopher, I think they're at the top of that second group. And I think they go into next season looking like maybe the 12th best team in the country heading into the season. That's I haven't broken it down team by team, but kind of in that 10 to 15 range with a chance for even more if, if certain things go their way or certain things click their way. I, I think the future looks pretty bright. And I think, I think you bring up a good point. These coaches are sticking around because they want to be a part of this. And, and, um, you know, we'll see how things shake out with transfers and NBA draft and recruits, but things are coming up Michigan lately uh, with the, with this team, and it it does it really does look like they're heading into next season with maybe similar expectations to 2013, 20 or 2012, 2013, 2013, 2014, where people are saying, "Yeah, this team's going to be." They look like they've got some juice to it. I mean, if they go 
Yeah, I mean, let's just say they go one for two. I don't know what direction you go. Like, I feel like if they go one for two and the one is Christopher, you still have, you mentioned earlier, Todd, you still have Todd and Johns, right? Like, you know, right. like, I feel like the ceiling for this team would be super high. And that's not even saying, that's not even counting, like, say a guy like Williams or Zeb Jackson comes in and is like, turns out to be a stud too. Like I said, you already got a decent new. You'd already have a decent nucleus with uh, DeJulius, Wagner, Johns. You know, and again, I'll I'll put Austin Davis in there with the way he improved this year. I mean, it's again not a all Big Ten type guy, but still somebody that you can count on. Still got to improve in avoiding the fouls, right? But still, like offensively, especially a guy you can count on, and then you add this influx of talent. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you. I'm not saying they're like top ten, but I, I was. I was gonna say this. I was a little surprised that they weren't included. And I know that again, part of that probably was due to the uncertainty. But there's uncertainty surrounding a few pro. I mean, a lot of programs right now that it's not finished out, right? So right. Um. So yeah. So I, I think. Yeah, upside big, right? If somehow they pull two out of two for that, then yeah, absolutely. Then we might be talking about a top ten team, to be honest with you. I mean, if if you know if a guy like DeJulius takes a big step forward, let's say, or they pick up one of the transfers. You know, you talk about Smith. Yeah. Add that into the equation, which is, appears to be a legitimate possibility, or at least I want to say legitimate, but a possibility. You know, then the ceiling. He went out of his way to speak with multiple reporters and basically say Michigan and Arizona stand out yep. the most to him. He doesn't do that if he isn't pretty excited about the possibility Absolutely. of Michigan. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, so I guess over oh, three or three, then we'll say, let's just say three. Well, they're also, weren't they mentioned for Aiken, too? The transfer out of, uh, was it Harvard? They were mentioned. Oh, Seth Towns is the guy out of Harvard. The, Aiken. From? Sorry to the listeners out there. I should have been checking this one, but. Whatever. Maybe we'll post something Whatever. on the board because, yeah. to be honest, I don't actually know that yeah. one because I, I might have well, been ha- on the road during that like yesterday or today. So, um, might be okay. something to check out on the board when we're finished here. But yeah, zero for three, zero for four, whatever. Let's just say zero for three. Like, there's three outcomes, three-ish outcomes right now for them that will maybe dictate where that preseason ranking is. I suspect you got to feel like they get at least one, right? If not two, so. You know, with that in mind, I, again, I just I feel like they'd be trending upwards. You see, you know, again, again, we're saying Michigan loses Simpson, who is the cog that runs that team. Well, Brooks would be back too. I forgot about Brooks. So, lots of, lots of. Uh, I think there's a high ceiling, almost regardless of how these scenarios end up. I suppose it's kind of a rambling finish to things, but um, you know. The uncertainty is probably why they are where they are. I know it was Kevin Flaherty, our national guy, is the one that did it. I thought Michigan should have been in the top 20. I can see the arguments why they wouldn't be. But uh, either way, future bright, I mean, no matter what, I I would think, heading into next season. Yep. Just as you said that, I I saw Sam officially put out a story about Saudi Washington staying. So be sure to to check that out over at themichiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. I'll have... A story kind of digging a little further into each of these five questions uh, will be an interesting offseason for Michigan. I, I can't remember the last nondescript offseason Michigan basketball has had, which which um, 
which is fun to write about and fun to cover and fun to see. I mean, different NBA angles, transfer angles, recruiting angles, lots, lots going on here in Ann Arbor. So we'll be covering all of it. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Check out all of our stories at themichiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. Hope you had fun, hope you learned something, and stay tuned for football and recruiting stuff later on this week.